You know, I'm pretty fascinated by this week one. Why? Because I am terrible at making money. Oh. Hey, welcome to the Dead Elephants podcast featuring Duncan and Chris. Looks like it's time to tackle another elephant in the room. But I feel like... Is that why I'm here? Well, I feel like... No, yeah, maybe. I feel like you're way Certainly better. Certainly not for my looks, that's for sure. <laughs> Counterbalance, first of all, because uh, otherwise you just have a flaming peacock on the show and mm. then no one wants to watch that. Uh, no, I just I find innovation really important mm. for everything that I do, but I, I just don't feel like an entrepreneur, whereas I would 100% classify you as an entrepreneur. Thank you. I take that as a compliment. So I'm going to be very fascinated about this week. Let's get into it. All right. First question. Yeah. Uh, have you ever had like a professional mentor? Oh, yeah. And what a blessing. Um, I want to give a shout out to my brother and my friend, Robert J. Stewart. I actually uh, dedicated partly uh, my book to him. He, he was the man that I went from not even knowing whether I wanted to be part of a church to entering formal ministry because of the love that that man showed me. Yeah. And here's the thing. He isn't a blessing to me because of the things that he does or his achievements or his LinkedIn profile or whatever. It's just the man that he is and it's it's the character that he demonstrated. And it, it formed my own pastoral practice. Like I don't think I entered uh, parish ministry with a pastoral heart naturally. I, I had the teaching part of it. Yeah. I had the, the leadership part of it. But the sitting beside people and just being in their pain and mm. knowing when to speak and knowing when not to speak, I certainly wouldn't have considered that a natural skill that I had. Um, but Rob, in his own love for me, taught me how to love other people well. So I just want to give him a shout out. He's a special man. Beautiful. What about you? I don't think I have. Never. That explains so much. <laughs> the three quarters formed man that you are. Do you want uh, me to be that guy? Uh, Do you want me to mentor you? So I think I have. That's a no. No. I, well, no, because I think this speaks to what I'm, I think of mentor. I, I have plenty of peers mm-hmm. who have permission to speak wisdom into my life. Sure. But I've never had a dude like you described. That I, sucks. No, I think, well, I think the closest I've had was probably my first youth pastor, Ken Moser, mm-hmm. who I'm still close friends with today, but like he's in Amsterdam lecturing at a Bible college. Mm. And prior to that, he was in Canada and then the USA. So I just, I haven't seen him in like 20 years, mm. but he had some very formative, powerful insights for me especially as a black sheep who doesn't function well in authority mm. of how to frame and how to function in that. So that that was probably the closest I have. I feel like we need to like, what is it? Like group fund, crowdfund Duncan's mentor. If, if you're listening and you think you could fit the bill, send your CV through. <sighs> That's a high bar. <laughs> what are you looking for? What's your criteria? I think I like a maverick. Okay. I want a maverick, not a goose. I'm a goose. I need a maverick. <laughs> Mark so, Cuban, if you're listening. Yeah. <laughs> 
Um, all right. Uh, this so we are talking about entrepreneurship, right? Yes. That, yep. That's the plan. And I love it. I'm so excited for this conversation. I, well, I, I have no framework for it. So I feel like that I'm like, I come from it from a perspective of bound creative innovation. Okay. What does that mean? I've only, for the most part of my life, worked for not-for-profits. Thereby, yep. I've had limited resources and limited funding and I've had to be profoundly creative with yep. the assets that I have to manage. Right? Sure. But it's never been with a viewpoint to make money. Okay. But I don't think we're de- – are we defining entrepreneurship with that in mind? No way. That is way too narrow. Yeah, okay, good. Yeah. All right. So, so what's what's your perceived elephant scale then? Where are you at a 10 on this? I'm like a 5, but I want to be a 10. Okay. Let's get you to 10, <laughs> Duncan. Because I love innovation yep. with all my heart. What do you love about it? Oh, just – I'm the guy who says when you say we've always done it that way, yep. why? Yeah. Is there a better way of doing it? Yeah, you're an entrepreneur. And I love that. And yeah. that's that's how I function is I want to tear down the system and find mm-hmm. a better way. Yeah. So I think I'm geared for that. I love that. I know that it can be destructive, but I, I, there must be a framework because surely, surely Jesus was an entrepreneur. Okay, let's let's just rewind on your bad theology for a second. Oh, okay. Let's sure. not bring Jesus in. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, I just want to – what did you say? Uh, you uh, – oh, what did you – Sorry. Constrained. No. No? What are you thinking? Destructive. Destructive. You said said entrepreneurship can be destructive. What do you mean? In a safe system Mm. that has functioned that way well, in a secure environment, I think an entrepreneur who goes, is there a better way of doing this? Should we blow it up and take it in a different direction? Can cause some real catastrophic damage. Because they end up burning people in the process. Yes. Yeah. And often entrepreneurs do not, they may have the vision and they may sell a good, you know, a good sales pitch, but they don't have the the ability to back it up with implementation. Yes. That, and that that gets really damaging. Um, in my, and I'm going to blow my own trumpet here, but, um, you know, when I've done the big personality tests, one of the, the things that comes through for me is I'm equal parts visionary and implementer. And I've been told that's quite a rare trait because often someone will be strong on one or strong on the other. And if I can start speaking about that to a, to a Christian framework, that's actually okay if we come together and we respect each other. In other words, the world needs entrepreneurs and the world needs implementers, but often we're threatened by the other and we actually get less done in the process. You're as good as your number two is. Mm. And I think that was the hardest thing I had to learn that my best strength is actually the person who's co-working with me, yep. who's often my complement, yep. not my same. And I would argue that's that's biblical. I mean, in the context of the church, you know, the hand should not say to the foot, I don't need you. But even if you just look at the data point of the world, like we need engineers, we need architects, we need builders, we need te- like we need everything. And interestingly, that's that was one of my reflections on COVID. Like you remove one link of the chain, yep. the whole thing falls down. Suddenly like bank tellers are as important as CEOs, right? <laughs> they, yes. they, you need them all. And therefore what I want to say in this episode is someone who would identify as an entrepreneur but often in Christian circles doesn't always feel embraced for that. The church needs entrepreneurs. 
Okay. So how do we get them there? Because I don't think a church is typically an entrepreneurial environment. Right. And I want to say entrepreneurship, or let, let me broaden it a little bit. Creativity mm. is what makes us human made in the image of God. We may not all be entrepreneurs in practice, but we all have a creative bent to us. Uh, let me put it another way. We're not in the garden anymore, mm. right? Okay. We are we are growing, we are progressing, we are developing. Some of those de- developments are good. Some of the developments are not so good. But there is something in us that has a desire to pursue. And I would argue that's actually grounded in the fact that we're made in the image of God. This is good. Yeah. Let me, let me put it another way. I watched this great documentary and I would recommend it for anyone. It was called The Creative Brain. And it was this psycho, I don't know, professor of something, brain neuroscience. That was the one. Professor of neuroscience. And he, he starts the documentary by showing this little squirrel rummaging in the forest. And he narrates it by saying, if you'd seen this squirrel a million years ago, what would it have been doing? And the implication there is it would still be rummaging for the, for the nuts in the forest. It hasn't developed. It hasn't grown its capacity. Yeah. And in the next scene, without explanation, they just show this skyline. I think it's San Francisco. And the immediate implication is, and he's not coming from a Christian perspective, there is something about humans that sets us apart from the non-human creation that we have a desire to build and to grow and to create. And I want to see more of that in our Christian circles. Yes, yes, yes. I, fostering that is like I'm thinking from a pastoral perspective mm-hmm. here and I go, I say to our team a lot of times we have a fixed amount of bandwidth. Sure. Right? And that is basically the people in the room is who we've got to operate with and that means that we can't do every single wild idea. So no. we've, we've got to get the good ones and what we can do is we can artificially buy bandwidth so we can import some people to help us out on the process short term and that'll expand the bandwidth. But what we're hoping to do in that is that by adding more people, we'll have more bandwidth. Um, I think the challenge for all of this is an an entrepreneur. You say that really weirdly, I'm just going to say. Do I? Okay. Entrepreneur. Is. It's like three U's in there. They feel, yeah. <laughs> too many U's. Too dude. many. They feel uh, solo. Yeah. That's that's a pain point I feel. I've actually spent a lot of time in psychology this year trying to unpack this. Have you? Because in the context of the church and the kingdom, it feels abrasive sometimes. But without- oh, it would be incredibly slow for you. You, you you are used to moving fast yep. within a church. You are used to moving slow. Yep. And the big thing within the church is that we take a lot of time to make a decision yep. and then a lot of time to implement that decision. Yep. So what I've changed for our church is I've said we are slow in making a decision and then we are really, really, really quick in executing Man, that. I, I love that because I want to say that, that that's exactly the perspective you need to have because – my attention as an entrepreneurial mind is I want to just go for it yep. and not take people along for the ride. And I don't think that's honoring to Christ. Like we are we are a family and we need to be collaborative. Not everybody will necessarily agree, but with enough momentum and enough loving communication, if we need to pivot one way and we've brought people along that journey, 
we've we've explained the process and we have enough of cohesion to to go for it yeah then then you act but is it better for me to just love you as a solo project than trying to figure out how to indiv- integrate you into a community that will move way too slow for your liking? No, I, I, need, a, <laughs> I need a community. Yeah. And here's, here's my challenge and this is what I've had to unpack. In my own life, I have so many ideas Yep. and it's like it's that classic thing of your greatest strength is your – or your greatest weakness is your strength overplayed. Yep. So what my psychologist said to me which was so valuable was stop looking at multiple skeletons in your life Find the one skeleton that you're passionate about and spend the rest of your life putting meat on those bones. And, and that just really helped me focus and define myself to what God has for me. But it needs to be in some sort of startup environment to do it. But a church is not a startup. Well, a church plant is. Yeah. But an existing traditional church is probably not. Yeah, and I don't need to find the sum total of my entrepreneurial muscle in a church context. Okay. Yeah. And look, I think that's important to say. I think we need to leave room for entrepreneurs in in churches. And it's it's really threatening as a pastor to have somebody come to you with a with a left field idea. I've been on both sides of it. I've been the pastor who has heard a hundred different ideas for a hundred different things. And to your point about bandwidth. It's just not going to, you just don't have the energy to do it and you need to focus as a church. But somewhere along the line, there, there's, there's a point where if you gain enough traction and enough momentum and enough people are saying, we need to head in this direction, at some point you have to at least give that a little bit of oxygen. You say um, ideas are like buttholes, everyone's got one. <laughs> <laughs> you said that. <laughs> well, that's what I say. Um, because I think what, that's what you often get is a thousand different ideas, but no one's willing to execute yeah. them, right? Yeah, is yeah. It, I think we all love to have an idea. Yeah. And look, I, I actually want to actually leave the church context for a second because I think we're creating a false separation. I think okay. the entrepreneurial spirit is what it means to be human in the world more broadly. Yes, that will manifest in the church, but it will manifest in our workplaces, in our businesses, in our families, Whatever it is. And, and look, I want to put a bit of theology behind this for a second. Yeah, go for it. You know, I think that that documentary highlighted there is something different about humanity. And the Bible shows that that humanity. So if we go right back to Genesis 1 and 2, we see a few things. Genesis 1, we start with God's creativity in creating the universe and humankind and, and all of that. And we have that famous passage in chapter 1, verse 26 and verse 28 where God essentially tells Adam at that point, Eve is not there yet, tells Adam to rule over the fish in the sea, subdue it, have dominion. We have a bunch of different translations for that. So, so there's there's something about humanity that are called to be ruling and have dominion and authority. Then as we go into chapter 2, um, God tells Adam to work the garden, mm-hmm. to take care of it. But he then says in verse 18... It's not good for you to be alone. And that's where Eve comes into the story. Now, uh, Adam and Eve together. It's really interesting in chapter 2, verse 19, God creates the animals. Adam can't do that. Eve can't create them. But then God gives Adam this job to give them names. So there's this really interesting interplay between God's initiating creativity in making the universe as we know it and yet giving this authority and responsibility to the man and the woman to kind of run with it. 
And, yeah. and we yeah. see that narrative that that's essentially the story of humanity. We, we have offspring, we build cities, we get it wrong, we get it right. You know, we are not, as I said, in the Garden of Eden anymore. And so entrepreneurship, creativity, originality, visionary behavior, whatever we want to call it, is, is part of what it is to make us human. As I said, we've all got it in different quantities. But if, if our faith belief is that it's, it's somehow ungodly to create or to take risks and that's a whole different paradigm, then I think we're a little bit too narrow. Okay. So what are, like, what are the elements of entrepreneurship that really excite you? I just love envisioning something better than what there currently is. Yeah, uh, that's my favorite. Yeah. What, you said it yourself. It's like I can, I can see the flaws and I can see something better. It's, you, you have to be a dreamer, an idealist, and just an optimist in a way to believe that there's a better way of doing things and it's worth expending the energy to get there. I, I think too for me creativity functions best when there are hard limits on stuff. Mm-hmm. Like that, that, that's that kind of constrained creative innovation that I like, the idea that blue sky creativity frustrates me. Mm-hmm. Given any degree of money, any degree of resources, what is the thing that you would do? I go, yep. it's not realistic. Yeah. So I much prefer it when you say – You've got no money, no resources and no time. What are you going to do? Mm. Is that suddenly now I have a real good focal point for yep. it. And even it, like it, this podcast is a really good example. Yeah, I was thinking that. Right, is given limited bandwidth and the capacity to respond quickly to people asking real questions that we can have real conversations about, what's the way that we can maximize that? Yep. Okay, is that I've actually got some really hard constraints in this and a lot of what you're getting is unfiltered and unedited stuff. Yep. And the reason is we want it like that. We yeah. want to show a, a realness and an authenticity to that. But that's constraints. Mm-hmm. And constraints are really healthy because it breeds innovation. Yep. And where I find that best is in churches. Because there's constraints everywhere. And so that's where I always try and but my problem is, is I like to function at the edge yeah. of those constraints to see can we flex it and make it bigger and how big could it be? Yep. And that's where oftentimes you find the biggest stress points. Um, but that's the thing that excites me about entrepreneurship, mm. you know? I think about it in, and I wanted to get away from churches, but I, I, I thought about this. At no, one. sorry, I'm just using my perspective. No, 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 no it's helpful. And, I, and I've thought about it myself in the context of churches. Like, So I'm in an Anglican church, right? And yeah. an Anglican church has a church in every suburb. At some point, somebody, and I don't know who it was, at some point, somebody had to have the vision, had to collate the funds, had to get the thing off the ground so that you have the building. So what I'm saying is in churches, we we actually stand on the shoulders of pioneers. Sure. And it's kind of easy to forget that and to try and consolidate, to not, to not dream too big, to kind of, mm-hmm. you know, rest on our laurels. But we're forgetting that we needed an entrepreneurial spirit to get there in the first place. And I just, I haven't heard somebody say that before. And it was kind of this internal realization that I'm like, let's not, let's not bury that. Let's, let's keep that going. Well, and we're seeing that still today, right? Like new communities are shooting up and people are saying, yeah, we're going to put a church in there. Yep. We don't necessarily have the people to put in that church, but we're going to buy that parcel of land or buy that pocket. That's that spirit you're talking about. And I think, um, 
one of the questions I have is is what are the what's the dark side to an entrepreneurial spirit? What yeah. are, what are some of the perils we see? Yeah, and look, I can speak uh, from experience here. You know, there is an obsession to entrepreneurship. You have to, as I said, you have to be some sort of optimist and idealist. In our worldview, there's a there's a friction point there. Put another way, how do you be a perfectionist in an imperfect world? Mm-hmm. At some point, probably very quickly, there's going to be a mismatch between what you want to see and what you are seeing. And you can very easily become jaded and bitter and disillusioned about that if you don't keep your heart in check. So there's disillusionment, that's one risk. There's workaholism, that's yep. another risk. And there's also, as I said before, isolation, that no one can do it as well as you, nobody gets it, nobody understands you, so you just basically sit on an island. Like I've dreamed about doing a podcast for years, right? Yeah. But you and I need to be together because we we refine it, we keep each other accountable, we get it done, we're better in community and we can actually do more. Yes, I lose a level of control over that. There are some conversations that you might want to have that I don't or you take it in directions that I don't, but it's so worth it because together we can do something better than if I was by myself. Oh, the flip side is true, man. I didn't want to have a conversation about entrepreneurship. Still saying it wrong. <laughs> because yeah, I can't, one, I can't say it right oh. and also two, I just, like I don't get it. Yeah. I think I like I'm a constrained creative innovator. That's how I think about it. Yeah. And so the way that I approach this is always through the lens of, how do I incubate creativity, mm-hmm. right? That's the thing that I want to propagate and enhance and encourage. But like within an existing framework, is that what I'm hearing? Well, no, because like I, everything I run through the lens right now of pastoral ministry, mm-hmm. right? But that pastoral ministry extends beyond the borders of my church, right? Yep. Like is I, I existed at the gym where I feel like I can breed that kind of creativity. I exist within a creative consultancy community where i can breed creativity in that space as well and so i kind of look at it and go well how can i incubate encourage and manufacture that in all those different areas but the place that i see it play out more is like artistic stuff mm-hmm. like so storytelling um creating a framework for good narrative um embracing artisanal spirit <laughs> so <laughs> i kind of get geeked out by the painter and the potter and because yep. those those jobs financially suck and don't make any yep. money but we need them and why I'll, do we need them because uh the artist inspires mm. the you know like oh, there, there's a great energy that i get when i go into an art gallery Mm. and i just walk amongst that right there's it's like a creative juices start to flow coming out of that and i think i see that in in pottery and handmade things Mm. you know and man you're sipping a coffee cup coffee cup out of something that was you know I was so nervous to break it. I'm like, this is the most overpriced thing I've ever held. No, it's not. It's not overpriced. It's fairly priced because go. the the because it's artisanal. Well, and the person who made it invested energy into doing that. It's one of a kind, yeah. and, and I think there's there's beauty. something beautiful about that. It, and that's where I think it speaks to the beauty of creation. You know, I was I heard this great, and we're going to have to footnote his name because I've forgotten it uh, in these episode notes. But 
um, he was saying that so often in theology, it's it's like a, a plumbing theology. And he describes that as there's a pipe that needs fixing. We go to church, we hear about the problems and we learn how to fix them in our life. He said, that's only half the picture. That That's, that's like a reactive uh, remediation of a problem. Yes, yeah. that is part of what it means to be a Christian in a fallen world. But there's also the proactive, creative, exploratory expression of what it means to be human and to to not just try and fix something that's broken but create something that doesn't even exist yet. That, yeah. That's also what it means to be human. And, you know, for me, again, I mentioned going to psychology my psychologist kept describing me as being very creative and I, I'd never considered myself as creative because I don't want to do pottery and I'm a terrible painter, but I find my creative expression in housing development or I'm yeah. restoring an old car, you know, th- that kind of stuff where you you create beauty and you create something out of nothing. It's funny, I, it reminds me, I had a moment with the builder on my housing development and he's, you know, blue collar, rough around the edge, you know, yeah, yeah. You, you can picture what he's like. And we had this moment, we'd cleared the site, we're about to dig and he goes, we're about to create something out of nothing. Yeah. And, his, and his eyes just lit up. Yeah. You know, and he's a hard-nosed tradie who's seen it all, but it was almost this like tear-jerking moment of like, beautiful. we're about to make something special. But that that's a reflection of what God has been doing since the beginning. Exactly. And that's where I think as culture changes, as societies change, as um, technology innovates, there's always new places and spaces to innovate, grow, and solve problems, Mm. right? Is that one of the ones that we've been wrestling with as a church is the biggest issue in most of our communities is depression and anxiety. Mm -hmm. But there's not like a cookie cutter, there's not an alpha for depression and anxiety. Yeah. But I feel like that's the strongest point of serving our community mm. is the alpha equivalent of that. And you know, if you don't know alpha, it's like a, a come to know Jesus kind of course that you can do. Yeah. But there's nothing like that for depression and anxiety. So you're thinking about how do we create that? Is that what you're saying? That's what I'm saying to our mm. team is if that course doesn't exist, then we have to have – the artisans yep. who can manufacture that in a way that's going to help serve our community's greatest need, right? Because the church was an entrepreneurial institution. Unpack that and justify it. Okay, so unwanted babies, we throw them on the trash. This is early church. You're saying quite literally this is what would happen. Yep, and so the church says that doesn't seem fair because we value all of human life. Mm. So we're going to take those babies, rescue them, and create orphanages. Mm. That is an entrepreneurial response to a real crisis within a community. We go, hospitals are just for rich people and for soldiers. And Christian community goes, no, medical aid should be available to everyone. Yep. So let's create a medical institution that does that. And they, they do this over and over and over again. But the response is to a crisis within a community. Yep. And the response to that crisis leads us to all these incredible innovative measures that today we look at and go, oh, yeah, that's no big deal. You yeah. say, there's a reason it's called and the Mata I mean. Hospital. We're actually standing on the shoulders of people who've yeah. gone before. Yeah. It's like the sand is the, what is it, the Sydney Adventist, Adventist. 
You're right. Like they're coming out of these Christian institutions yep. where they were incredibly um, innovative. Yep. And I don't think that that has disappeared. No, no. If anything, the, the the side hustle is the great dream of today. Like, in a way, I think we almost face a problem where we're trying to prescribe entrepreneurship to people who who aren't. Now, it's a good problem to have in my mind. I love the notion of side hustles and that people are exploring these things. Um, no, the entrepreneurial spirit is alive and well, and I think um, filtered through the prism of Christianity, man, I think we're on the cusp of doing some cool stuff. Yeah. Well, I mean, we're right now sitting in a side hustle. I've got a regular exactly. full-time job. <laughs> yeah, I don't because I'm retired. If you want to go back to a previous episode, you can find out why. It's so, because of a side hustle that I'm... So anyway. retired. Oh. Um, but there's... Be- like, for me, this is this is a creative expression that I think feeds all the other areas of ministry that I'm involved in. And here's the thing. Why do you want to express that side hustle in the form of a podcast? Because you do. Why does somebody else want to express their side hustle through painting? Because they do. Why does somebody else want to do it through coaching a local sports team? Because they do. My point is. No, I, it's no, it's more than that. I disagree. So, so it's not just because I do. It, it, the reason I love to broadcast because it feels like it's the purest expression of all my gifts and talents in a medium that I deeply love. I just can't make money off it. That'll come. No, but do you, so, yeah, so well, when look, I was a broadcaster, yeah. that was the, that was the first time I was like, this shoe fits perfect. Mm. You know, that, that was the moment. And I think for a lot of us, we have these dreams that are probably deeply connected to our gifts and our talents and our characteristics and we're too scared to do them because they don't make us any money. Okay. But that's the whole premise of a side hustle yep. is like, no, do the thing that brings you joy, you, yeah. I- you icky guy, yeah. Japanese. Yeah. Do your icky guy, even if it doesn't make you money, because it'll probably f- fill up all those other areas of your life yep. with joy because you can look forward to these moments. Yeah. yeah. And look, if you hadn't cut me off about two minutes ago, that's where I was, <laughs> that's where I was getting to. I'm sorry. Oh my goodness. I was just setting the picture so beautifully so and I've just been like that's cut down. sorry. What I was going to say. Yeah. Great tangent and I agree with you. The point is why do you want to do it because you do because you do because that's how God has made you. Oh beautiful. Right? Yeah. That's that's what I was about to say before you cut me off. So rather than trying to second guess too much why does this thing fill me with passion? Actually if you just step into it and you realize the world needs engineers and artists and scientists and whatever. Like science, I could not care two hoots about. Like I will never be a public apologetic leader around the the evolution of species or whatever. Like it's just, it doesn't interest me. But I can talk on an emotional level about how mental health makes makes a difference in spirituality. That's And, and I can go, oh, why is that? Or I feel ashamed of it. Or I wish I was like that guy. You know, rather than trying to wish I was like that guy, I'm like, for whatever reason, this is the passion God's given me and I'm just going to step into it and see what happens. And the world is amazingly in balance with enough of everybody to a degree where we have different thinkers and different feelers and different passion areas. And man, it's it's exciting. I love it. Well, And there is that scientist, right, who cares about supply chain. Yep. 
um, improvement to increase sustainability. And, am and I, how glad am I that God has wired them that way, right? And they love it. Yep. And they're thinking about policy making, and they they get they get a kick out of that. Yep. That stuff is beautiful, and that's where I think if you're like, oh, I wish I was a potter. No, like there's something there that is an itch waiting to be scratched. Yeah. And it's got nothing to do with pottery. It's got everything to do with um, sustainable accountability. Yeah. Accounting, sorry, sustainable accounting. And you're like, yeah, I want to jump into that. So I want to just talk about the concept of risk here because inherently in any entrepreneurial endeavor, what you're essentially doing you are taking a risk and you're trying to manage that risk as best as possible. Sure. I had this fascinating conversation and I know he won't mind me referencing him. My cousin, Andrew, who doesn't claim uh, faith at this point, um, we were talking about this concept of risk. We're, we're both naturally entrepreneurs. I have a, a property business. He has uh, like an active wear business. It's going really well. Um, but we were both talking about that, that gene or that desire that we both have that we're exercising. And we're talking about risk and I said to him, okay, I have, I have belief in, in a God. Mm. At this point, you don't or you're agnostic. Who, who theoretically should have the bigger risk profile? The person of faith or the person who does not have faith? And we both agreed, theoretically, it should be the person of faith that should have the bigger risk profile because at the end of the day, you, you do your due diligence, you take a plunge but the difference is if it all goes belly up, you've still got a big guy in the sky who's going to love you and look after you no matter what. Mm-hmm. And I just thought it was such an interesting conversation that both of us, even though we would we had different faith perspectives, both agreed that in theory, a person who believes in a good and loving heavenly father, if anything, should have a greater risk profile than the person who believes that there's, there's no one looking above you. I think... Um... This, the fear of failure, which is this risk mi- mitigation thing that you're yep. talking about, is oftentimes the big undoer. Like I, I remember distinctly the day when we had to shut down the church plant that we'd been working hard to launch for four years. Yep. And the biggest thing I had in my head was like, I'm just going to be a catastrophic failure and I'll just be known as the guy who couldn't successfully plant a church and now will forever be known as that. Yeah. And I kind of remember describing it as being like it was like this ferocious line of failure hidden behind every door Mm. that I was trying to avoid. Mm. But the moment that I came face to face with that failure, um, it it was it was like a hedgehog. (laughs) As in, it wasn't as bad as what you thought. Yeah. So I saw it, and I was like, "Oh, is that it?" like yeah it sounded like a lion behind a door but the moment i saw it i was like it's a hedgehog so what you're saying is your your worst nightmare actually happened in that you planted this church that you had to close but the nightmare wasn't as bad as what you thought it would be well oftentimes the distinguishing thing between a 20 year old and a 30 year old is true failure what is the thing that you have committed all your time and energy and effort to and it catastrophically failed Mm. And there was nothing that you could have done to salvage that. Mm. Okay. A 20 year old comes up with a terrible story about how he missed his third workout routine. And a 30 year old shares an actual failure story. 
and they are a much better person because of that mm. failure story. The tragedy is that we all have to go through that journey, right? Yeah. And at 40, we're so used to failing. Yep. We're like, yeah, of course. And I got to a point uh, and we've, I've talked about my property journey in other episodes so I won't bore you with the details but the, the mental shift that I had to make as I thought about putting everything on the line for this thing that seemed to be in front of me was I had to visualize myself on my deathbed and going what will be my bigger regret? Trying this and it falling short or always wondering what could have been? And, 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 Precisely. And that was the psychological shift. And again, overlaying this, I mean, I don't, I don't want to be trite about this. Theologically, there is something in us that, that has that desire to do it. And, and God will be prompting us in different directions. We don't all have to start our own companies. We don't even all have to have side hustles. What we need to do are to think about what are those things that inspire me, motivate me? What are the things I can see in the world that if I put my energy into it, it would be just that little bit better? And at that point, am I going to choose to ignore it and get all rational? Or am I actually going to give it a go? And I would encourage you to give it a go. I would second that. Mm. And when's the best time to start? Like now. Right now. <laughs> and if you're anything like me, like I need it to, to be like a 10 out of 10 or I'm not going to do it. That's my challenge. Like, no, little steps. Just just take little steps in that yeah, direction have and a see crack what happens. It. Have yeah. a crack. Yeah, awesome. Quit your job right now. All right. Well, I look forward to writing a book about this and doing the speaking circuit. <laughs> Good. So, all right. See you again next week. Bye-bye. <laughs>